Would you take your Bibles as we are looking in the book of Genesis, journeying through Genesis, coming to 18th chapter of the book of Genesis. I've never had the opportunity, but I have talked with individuals who have uh, had the opportunity to go and to visit the George Mueller Museum in Bristol, England. They say it's quite a sight to, to be able to see what God has done in the life of this one particular man. If you know anything about George Mueller, Notice that he was a man that was a man of faith. He was a man of prayer. And that how God did remarkable things in his life. At one time, he was uh, ministering and keeping over 2,000 orphans. He had one thing in mind that he would never tell uh, the average man what his needs were. He'd always go before the Lord and to make a petition before the Lord of what their needs were. One particular day, there they, uh, more than 2,000 children in that orphanage had no money, had no food. And so, he went before the Lord. He says, Lord, you tell us that you're the father of the fatherless. And that you will take care of your children. Quite surprisingly, it wasn't but just a little while later, there was a knock on the door and a baker had come and he said, God woke me up in the middle of the night. And told me that you had no food and I began to make bread. And here is bread for you and for your children. Wasn't but just a little while later they tell us that a knock on the door came again. And there was the milkman. And his car had broken down in front of the orphanage fearing that his milk would spoil. And so he says, I have enough milk for all your children. Would you like to have them? And they would tell us one story right after another of how God did something in a remarkable, remarkable way through the life of George Mueller. A man of faith a man of prayer. And one of the things that was known about George Mueller, not only praying for specific needs of individuals, I mean, of that orphanage, but also of the lostness of mankind. He kept a long list of people, of people that who were lost and had never come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he prayed earnestly over those names. And as he prayed over those names, it was remarkable of the number of people that had come to know the Lord as their personal Savior. And believing that it was because 
of the intercessory prayer of George Mueller. Someone asked George Mueller what prompted him to pray that type of prayer for the lostness of man. He says, Genesis 18. The scriptures that we're about to read today, we're going to talk about another man that prayed for others, praying and lifting them up before the Lord to spare them from the judgments of God. I titled my message, Lifting Others Up to Heaven. There's many things we can do of trying to reach the lost. And certainly that is the mandate that God has placed upon the church and placed upon you and I today. But I don't think there's anything any greater than praying for those that are lost. We have rocks down here uh, around this cross signifying that there were individuals that God had laid upon your heart and you wrote those names upon those rocks. And therefore, we come and we place them at the foot of the cross, praying that the Lord himself would touch their hearts. We've seen by example of people who've come to know the Lord as their Savior. I think about you, brother. And I think about how you came to know the Lord and your name was on one of those rocks. And others as well. And oh, how encouraging that is. That God will hear His people when it comes to intercessory prayer. I want to talk about that this morning. Would you take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 18. And let's just begin reading in verse 20. And we'll read a little while and then uh, we'll go from there. So would you stand with me in reverence of reading God's holy word. In verse 20, the Bible says... And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. Now notice what he says about Sodom and Gomorrah. And because their sin is very grave. I will go down now. That word, I will go down now, is mentioned a number of times in the Old Testament. And every time... It is mentioned, it is referring to the time that God will go down down to that particular place in a form of judgment. God is getting ready to judge the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it. That has come to me. And if not. I will know. Then the men turned away from there. And went toward Sodom. But Abram. 
Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this. To slay the righteous with the wicked. So that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far it be from you shall not the judge of all the earth do right. So the Lord said... I will find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city. Then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous Would you destroy all of the city of the lack of five? So he said, if I find there's 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he says, I will not do it for the sake of the 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy for the sake of the 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he says, I will not destroy it for the sake of the ten. So the Lord went his way. As soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Here was a man that was interceding on the behalf of the wicked nation, the city of Sodom. And God was listening. And God was saying, if you can find those righteous, I will spare, those, spare that city. My friend, God has placed within us a great responsibility as well as a great opportunity to pray for those that are lost. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before your presence today with burdens upon our heart. No doubt there's moms and dads, sons and daughters, that who have loved ones that, who are lost. And they live in a wicked society as we know of today. And Lord, you have reminded us by your example of your judgment. Oh, how important it is 
that we come and intercede on the behalf of those. Oh, Father, may the Spirit of the living God speak to our hearts today. And as he speaks, Lord, may there be a compassion upon us for the lost. Lord, I may be speaking today, and there might be someone listening at this very moment that are lost and are needing salvation. Our cry is, dear Lord, that you would spare them, and they will come to a saving knowledge and repentance of the Lord. So, Lord, thank you now for blessing and anointing and filling us with your Spirit. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are several settings here as we study this passage of Scripture that I want us to look at for a few moments. You go back to verses 1, 2, and 3, and you see the consecration of this man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was a godly man. Abraham was a man that was known as a friend of God. Abraham had children, or, grand, or, or he had a nephew, excuse me, that was out into a lost world. Let's go back to verse 1 and, and just for a second and begin to look at this passage of Scripture of the setting. It says, Then the Lord appeared to him by the, the uh, uh, appeared unto him in the plains of memory, and he sat in the tent in the heat of the day. And then he says in verse 2, And he lifted his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, my Lord. It was one afternoon. Possibly Abraham had just got through eating and he was in his tent and he was taking what we Baptists know as a siesta on a Sunday afternoon. And there, all of a sudden, he looks up, and there's these three unusual-looking men coming toward his tent. I say they're unusual. And the reason that they're unusual is because two of them were angels. One of them was God himself. And that all of a sudden, Abraham is there, and he is conversing with Almighty God. And we go back, and you go back and look at verses 2 and 3, and it's saying that God himself was paying a visit to Abraham. Now, why was he paying a visit to Abraham? I think because he knew the heart of Abraham. And he knew the love that he had for his family. And the love that he had for fellow man. 
Because the Bible says in verse 33, And the Lord went his way, and as soon as he had left, communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Abraham has been talking with God. And they were talking about certain things. Things that only between a righteous man and a holy God would talk about. Here you began to see the fellowship that Abraham had with his almighty God. No doubt they had much to talk about. But then I began to notice in the scripture that the implications of Abraham. The Bible talks about that word implication, meaning of what he had in common with God. James tells us in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 16, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. A righteous man avails much. The effectiveness that James is talking about. And so here we began to recognize that Abraham was a righteous man. Oh, I don't mean that he was perfect. We've already seen in the scriptures from time to time of where uh, that proved of his imperfection. But he had a desire to be righteous. He had a desire to live a holy life. He had a desire to live a life that was consecrated to the Lord himself. And the Bible reminds us as well in the book of James that is so interesting is that it says that in James chapter 2, verse uh, 3, I believe it was, or 23, is that uh, Abraham was called the friend of God. Have you thought, ever thought about that? Can you imagine putting on the epitaph of uh, the grave of, of Abraham? Here lies a man that was known as a friend of God. That word friend literally means an intimate relationship. One that has a close relationship. One that could share personal things with. Here was Abraham that was known as, by others, as a friend of God. And God comes to him and He wants to converse with him and he wants to talk with him and he wants to share with him about certain things as well as to hear from Abraham. And so we find here as in this passage of Scripture, James chapter 4 verse 4 goes a step further and it reminds us that whoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You cannot be a friend of the world and the friend of God at the same time. We live in the world, but not of the world, the Bible tells us. And so therefore, Abraham, in verse 3, is being reminded as well as we are reminded of a close relationship between him and God.
You remember back in Genesis chapter 13, Abraham had to make some important decisions as well as Lot made some decisions as they were bumping into one another and as he gave Lot the opportunity to be able to choose which land that he wanted. And it was amazing that Lot chose the land where he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Proving there that Lot was more of a friend of the world than he was of God. And yet Abraham goes in the opposite direction. So we see the implication of Abraham. But I want you to see as well. John Phillips said something that I think is so important. Listen to what he says. There are not many people, even in the Bible, to whom the Lord appeared in a visible manifestation in order to chat with them about family and foreign affairs. But he did so appear to Abraham. Can you imagine having that type of relationship that God would come and visit with you in a visible way? Well, I want you to notice the illustration of Abraham. If we're going to reach and bring people before the throne of God in a time of intercessory prayer. We need to be like Abraham. We need to be consecrated like Abraham. We're not to be friends of the world, but we're to be friends with God. The psalmist said in Psalms 24, verses 3 and 4, Who may ascend into the hills of the Lord? Or who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. There, in a book called Why Prayers Are Unanswered, John Lavenier was telling a story about Norman Vincent Peale. And he said one particular day when Norman Vincent Peale was a little boy, he came along of a big old black cigar. And he picked up that black cigar in an alley and he put it in his mouth and he began to smoke that black cigar. And about that time his dad came trying to conceal that cigar from or revealing it to his dad, he put it behind his back. And as he put it behind his back, he tried to uh, get on a subject that where his dad would not confront him about the cigar. And across the street, there was a billboard to say that the circus was coming to town. And he says, Dad, can we go? Can we go to that circus? And I think it was interesting, and Norman Vincent Peale said he learned the lesson that day from his dad that he'd never forgotten. And his dad said something like this. He answered him. He said, son, never make a petition while at the same time trying to hide a smoldering disobedience. 
Never try to make a petition before the Lord. When there is sin in your life and sin that you've tried to conceal from the Lord where He sees all. That's why it's so important that our lives stay clean and our lives stay pure and our lives stay holy. That we are able to approach the throne of God and to be able to share individuals before the Lord and intercede on their behalf. When's the last time? Mom, dad, that you've come rushing to an altar and tears trickling down your cheeks because of the lostness of a son or a daughter or a grandson or a grandchild. When's the last time we as a church have felt such a burden for the lost that we find ourselves weeping and interceding and sharing? But I want us to go to a, the second thing just for a moment. We've talked about the consecration of Abraham, but as you study the scriptures, there's a second aspect to this passage of scripture, and that, of course, is the condition of Sodom. Now, when I speak of Sodom, what do you think of? Homosexuality. Sodomy. Here is a man by the name of Abraham and he is interceding on the behalf of Sodom. A place that was bound for judgment. And we will see that judgment next Sunday. Of how God came and destroyed this city because it was morally corrupt. The Bible says there in verse 20 that there in the city of Sodom that their sin is very grievous. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 13, it says, But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Sodom is mentioned Six times in the Old Testament, four times in the New Testament, and they all are synonymous of the sin of homosexuality. When I stop and I think about the sin of Sodom and the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, I go back and be reminded of what... Billy Graham has said, and you've heard it, and I have said it before, that God would have to raise up Sodom and Gomorrah and apologize if he doesn't judge our nation today. We're living in a moral, decaying society. You said, Pastor, you're not supposed to preach on, on homosexuality. I mean, that is not the uh, popular thing to do today because you will be uh, listed as a bigot. My friend, I want you to understand, I love the homosexual. I just don't like his sin. 
And the homosexual is welcome to this church, but his sin is not welcome. And yet we're living in a day and time of where homosexuality is being so socially accepted. I'm, I'm amazed. The older I get, the more socially accepting that that is in our society. Why, if you speak against the homosexual, that you're looked down upon as you're the sinner. And, and this transgender thing, I, I just don't understand. Uh, a male should be able to understand and a female, female should understand of which bathroom to be able to go into. And yet, states like North Carolina that who have tried to take a stand against it, they have re- repercussions. Preachers that will preach against homosexuality reap repercussions. My friend, I want you to understand that the church is to be the salt of the earth. And when you think about the salt of the earth, it irritates. I'm amazed that we got political groups. You've got your Democrats, you've got your Republicans, you've got your independents. And I'm amazed that they're saying that if we want to win an election, we've got to reach out to the homosexuals. I'm amazed of the number of churches and denominations that are saying that we are, have to accept everybody. The Bible says the way of the cross is narrow and there will be few that will follow through. The Bible talks about that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man can come through the Father except by me. And therefore, my friend, I remind you that with sin in your life, a habitual sin, God will not allow. Habitual sin. And so the Bible reminds us here in this passage of Scripture of how it was Morally corrupt. Las Vegas was known as the sin city. Well, Sodom was the original sin city. I find it interesting. In 1955, think about how long ago that was. An author by the name of D. Sherwin Bailey wrote a book entitled Homosexuality and the Western Christian Tradition, which he argued that what the real sin in Sodom was not accepting Sodom, homosexuality. What the real sin today seeming to be is not to accept the homosexuality of individuals. But it was morally corrupt, but it was divinely condemned. 
I understand the promotion today that is going on. Genesis chapter 13 verse 13 says, But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Now, I've heard it all. I've heard people say, well, God made me this way. And I might be talking to somebody that maybe has a child that is a homosexual. Well, my friend, I want you to understand, I'm not speaking against that child. I'm speaking against his sin. I love that child. But I want you to understand, God didn't make you that way. It was a choice. Now, they might be desires of the heart that leans you in that direction. But you make the choice whether you accept that type of lifestyle or not. No one forces you. Some people say, well, I was, uh, God made me this way. Therefore, God loves me this way. God loves you, but he don't love you that way into that type of sin. And I firmly believe that if the church don't continue to stand and take a strong stand on this sin, you might as well lock the doors and go home. How do you minister to a homosexual? That's something that we as a church are going to have to come to grips with. Do we just turn our backs against them? I don't think so. I think that what we've got to do is love them to the cross. That does not mean that we've got to accept their lifestyle. And I believe that that's where... We as a church. But I want you to understand, I believe that the pressures of the church speaking out against the homosexual is going to get greater and greater and greater and greater. That there could come a day that your pastor could be locked up simply because of his stand against homosexuality. We as a church have got to come to an understanding about the seriousness of this sin. And there you will find that God understood the heart of Abraham. He loved his people, Lot and his wife and his children and their sons-in-laws. Abraham loved them and he when he received the message that God was going to judge that city, you see an outcry. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 16 said something that intrigued my heart when I read it. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. 
I honestly believe that the remnant of the church that God has left here in this world is for the purpose of to intercede on the behalf of our nation. I believe that. And so instead of throwing our hands up and saying that there's nothing we can do, my friend, I want you to understand there is power in prayer upon a knee. And God understood that as he spoke to Abraham. And there you find the compassion of God in verse 25. Listen to what the Bible says there in verse 25. Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked, far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And then the Bible reminds us, it says in verse 22, Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abram, Abraham still stood Before the Lord. The two angels go and they are leaving to go towards Sodom. God is still staying there in the tent of Abraham. What a great testimony of the compassion of God. I honestly believe that one of the reasons that Christ has not come back as of today is because of the compassion of God. We understand that those that are going to be left behind that will reap the judgments on this earth. But because of the compassion of God, He does not want that to happen. We find here His compassion is demonstrated, His willingness to spare the number that Abraham requested. You look at verse 23 through verse 33. You see the persistent prayer that Abraham is praying before the Lord. Bringing before the Lord. It's so intriguing and so inspiring. Abraham asked, surely you won't destroy the righteous with the wicked. If I can find 50 righteous people in that city... God says, I will spare that city if you can find 50 righteous. How sad to say, out of a city of thousands, you could not find 50 righteous. And then you find Abraham going from 50 to 45 to 40 to 35 to 30 to 25 to 20, even down to 10. The Bible reminds us In Peter, that Lot was a righteous man. He was imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though his lifestyle was not righteous. But you would have thought that there was somebody he would have been able to influence for the Lord while he was inside him. And you could not even find ten that was law, I mean, that was righteous. And here's Abraham pleading, begging, crying, Oh God, spare that city. 
Abraham reminded God that you're righteous. And would it not be right for you to spare the righteous? Mueller, when he was praying for the children, he always reminded the Lord that you're the father of the fatherless. He reminded the Lord that you'll desire that none shall fall into judgment. No, not one. And oh, my friend, I believe that God is reminding us today to come before the Lord with a persistent prayer and praying that God would spare our loved ones. But oh, what a persuasive prayer. Abraham asked for 50, God says yes. He asked for 45, God says yes. He asked for 40, God says yes. And on and on and on and on. The intercessory prayer that God is tempted to. There was a story right after the war of World War II of a man by the name of Roger Sims. Roger Sims was coming home from the war, and he was hitchhiking. It was the date was May the 7th, and there was cars coming by, and then all of a sudden, there was this brand-new, shiny Cadillac stopped. And the man that was in the driver's seat said, where are you going? He said, I'm headed toward Chicago. He said, well, you're in good luck. He said, because that's exactly where I'm going. The man introduced himself as Mr. Hanover. Roger Sims was a very committed Christian, and God had spared his life from the war. And he had made a promise before the Lord, that he would witness to people when God would give him opportunity to witness to. God began to speak to the heart of Roger Sims. You need to witness to this man. You need to tell him about the Lord Jesus Christ. Then about 30 miles before his destination, that he was about to reach his destination, he built up enough nerve... And he says, Mr. Hanover, he said, can I ask you a question? He said, if you were to die today, do you know you would go to heaven? There was a dead silence. He said, did you know that you can know? And about that time, the man just pulls over on the side of the road. And Roger Sims said he thought that probably the man was going to uh, ask him to leave the automobile. But all of a sudden, the man began to sob. And he says, no one's ever asked me that question before. And right there in that car, Roger Sims led this man to the Lord. Well, to give you, I told you that to give you the background of what I'm about to tell you. Five years has passed. Roger Sims had 
started his own business. And he was going to Chicago on a business trip. And as he was going through his suitcases, he happened to find a little card that had Mr. Hanover's name and address and phone number. He said, I thought I would go by and visit with him and just let him know of what has transpired in my life over these last five years. So he goes to this uh, uh, tall building, goes up into the uh, office suite and... He goes to the reception and he said, I'd like to speak to Mr. Hanover. She said, well, it's impossible for you to speak to Mr. Hanover. But his wife is in the office. Would you like to speak to her? He said, absolutely. So he goes in there and there she is about in her 60s probably. And she says, I understand that you knew my husband. And all of a sudden he began to share with her of the experience that happened on May the 7th, five years earlier. All of a sudden, she begins to sob. She begins to cry. He says, what's wrong? She says, on May the 7th, and no doubt after he had let you out of that automobile, he had a terrible accident and was killed. In that automobile accident. I had prayed for my husband for years and years and years. And I felt that God let me down. And he did not answer my prayer. But you've come to tell me that he had accepted the Lord Jesus Christ that very night. Oh, how ashamed and I am as I've quit on God these last five years. When I read that story, I thought, how encouraging that is. Some of you, I've heard Miss Pearl talk about the number of years she prayed for her husband, Mr. John. I could think time after time after time of the number of ladies who've prayed for their husbands that have gotten saved. I can think of the number of times men who have prayed for their wives who have gotten saved. I can think of the number of times where moms and dads laid in the middle of the night there on their beds crying and weeping over their children who have gotten saved. Oh, listen to me, people. We're not to give up. We're not to give up. God wants us to be faithful. And He desires for us to continue to be faithful in intercessory prayer. My friend, I'm not giving up on America because I believe that this is a nation that God has founded and he has a desire for this nation once again to come back unto him. I truly believe that there is that possibility of a revival for our nation. But it's going to take men and women just like you and me to come before the Lord and to intercede on the behalf of our great nation, that it will turn back to the way 
that God would have it to be. How about you? Have you been praying for someone lately? Has God laid somebody upon your heart? Is it maybe a child? Maybe it's a, a bait? Maybe it's a co-worker? Maybe it's a friend? But God has laid upon you to pray for that person. I truly believe that God intends for us to be that salt, to continue to not only to, but to spare and to give life through that being the salt of the earth. You might be here today lost, never come to know the Lord as your Savior before, but somebody has prayed for you. Maybe a parent, maybe somebody has said, I lift that child up before you. And you're here today by the very means of the leadership of the Holy Spirit to give your heart and your life to the Lord. I want us to bow our heads in prayer. And I want us to pray that God in His infinite way will hear our prayers and answer our prayers and encourage our prayers when it comes to this thing called intercession. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be an intercessor? Some of you today, I want to challenge you to come to an old-fashioned altar and bring that petition before the Lord. Don't give up. Don't give up because God is at work in ways that you never would imagine. Oh, dear God, hear our prayer. Oh, dear God, may there may be a movement of God upon our nation today. And Lord, that there will be a turning away from sin and a turning back to the Lord. Oh, Lord, the devil wants to deceive us and discourage us by saying that can never happen. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. And so, Lord, we pray for our nation and we pray for, our, for revival for this nation. And God, you have placed individuals upon our hearts I pray that today that we'll bring those individuals and plead the blood upon the behalf of those individuals. In Jesus' name.